Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on the rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 26 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a Rust Belt recruiting production. I am your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Dave Gutiel, Chief Commercial Officer at the Port of Cleveland. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Happy Thursday. Yeah, yeah appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be here, Paul. Always uh, looking for more ways to expand our reach, so to speak, so really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's jump into it. You are the perfect person to have on the podcast right now. Um, it couldn't be more timely with what's going on in the world around supply chain issues. So talk to us about the Port of Cleveland um, and how, if at all, you can be a pressure valve to especially L.A., but, you know, the coastal ports. Sure. So, yes, we, we have been rather popular lately um you know new news stations and and trade publications all want to talk to smaller ports about how they can play a role in solving what's going on right now globally so you know if you look at the if you look at the problems and analyze it a lot of people have obviously of what's going on in the supply chain around the world and specifically the u.s whether it be east coast or west coast there there's all kinds of issues relating and causing slowdowns in cargo um, Smaller ports can really be considered relief valves, as you said, to these larger issues at coastal ports that are already congested even in good times. Um, one thing that, you know, from a national transportation strategy, we don't do well in the United States is look at smaller inland ports such as Cleveland uh, in those realms, so to speak. Um, you know, can we handle a million containers a year? No, we cannot. But, you know, we could handle 100,000 containers a year here. And if you look at doing that at a number of different ports all across the country, then you're taking a lot of pressure off of some of the larger ports that experience this on a regular basis, even in good times, let alone right now. You know, the, the, the more I kind of lean into this subject, um, you know, especially around everybody right now with, you know, holiday shopping, uh, people are trying to get out ahead of it. Um, the more I learn that, especially the people in it have said that this has been somewhat broken for a while. I mean, you even reference it, like the coastal ports are always slammed. They're just not this bad. So was there a sense that, you know, I mean, obviously a once in a century pandemic will, will break some things, but was there a sense that there needed to be an overhaul already? If you, if you talk to us, we think yes. We believe yes. And, you know, some of the reasons for that is from, from a, I'll, I'll mention the national strategy again. So, so all ports around the country have access to, you know, federal grant dollars, state grant dollars, sometimes regional, you know, for us, it's more federal. And now the state of Ohio has done a really good job of making those type of funds available. Really the strategy in the past has been, you know, throw a huge amount of dollars at these big coastal ports. And, and that's fine because they're handling the majority of the cargo, but what that does is exacerbate an already existing problem. 
So New York, New Jersey, LA, Long Beach, Seattle, Tacoma, Norfolk, um, Savannah handle millions and millions of containers a year because they're large ports, because those large vessels that move containers around internationally have to go to those ports. They can't get into places like the Great Lakes. But if you keep throwing money at, at, at those large ports, you're creating a bigger problem than what already exists. They can only handle so much cargo. They may be able to handle bigger ships if they build more infrastructure, but you still have the same amount of trucking capacity. You still have the same amount of rail capacity. And for the most part, you still have the same labor availability. That's not gonna change, you know, at least in the near term. So we need to change our thinking and utilize smaller ports to help with the problem. So talk to us about, and um, correct me if I'm pronouncing this uh, wrong, but the split off and their service offering, is that, I don't know if I said that right, but you can yeah, correct me. Close enough, sure. Um, so is this a great opportunity to talk to Midwest manufacturers looking to move products more seamlessly through a regional port instead of the coastals? Certainly, and, and that's what we're doing right now. So, you know, we started the service, actually chartered the vessel ourselves back in 2014, um, one vessel a month coming in into Cleveland between Cleveland and Antwerp, and it's slowly grown to two or two or three vessels a month. Um, now with the, you know, with the addition of a container only vessel, we can handle about 860 what we call TEUs, which is a 20-foot container uh, that came into the, the service back in September. Now we have the ability to handle a lot more cargo, and we're seeing that. We're talking to many more manufacturers. And look, face it, I mean, some of, this, some of these conversations are the result of what's going on right now, as we keep referencing. But we were having those conversations before, but folks now are saying, well, you know, do I really want to wait for my container to get here from Europe and it's going to take me six weeks rather than the two to three that we can do it in? So yep. there's a lot more interest. There's a lot more acknowledgement that we have a very good role to play here and people are taking notice. So when you're, you and your team are selling the port itself, um, you know, whether it be to companies or, you know, whoever, what are some of the strengths and unique characteristics that you leverage? The biggest strength that we have is a lack of congestion. Hmm. So say, for example, you're moving a container through a large coastal port, say New York, New Jersey, or Norfolk. Typically, when those vessels hit the port, the container gets discharged in a couple of days. It may sit on the ground in those ports for five to 10 days before it moves off the facility onto a truck, onto a, you know, a rail line, to get into the Midwest, you know, somewhere around the Cleveland area. Conversely, if you look at what happens at our port, split off vessel comes in, container is discharged, hits the ground, it's cleared by customs within 24 to 48 hours tops, and it's ready to go out for delivery. So we really cut the door-to-door -door transit time significantly versus going through those coastal ports. We're five to 10 days faster on average in good times, Right now, we just had a customer move a couple containers through the port that came in on a vessel last week. He said it saved him three weeks. Wow. And I mean, it's, yeah. 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 I mean, the, the clear difference is there. And I mean, right now, I, I can imagine that that cell has never been more relevant. No, no doubt. Uh, and that's why we're getting a lot more interest than we've frankly had in the past. And unfortunately, you have to take advantage of opportunities like this. And that's what, you know, we in partnership with Split Off are really trying to do.
Um, so like I mentioned, I mean, obviously we've been hearing about this for months. The media has covered it. There was even a, a 60 minutes, um, 60 minutes yep. special. Um, I think last Sunday, um, you know, in, from your perspective, can you explain kind of the crux of the supply chain issue? Sure. So, so go, going back, if you look back at the beginning of COVID, you know, a lot of manufacturing facilities shut down the economy, you know, slowed down significantly, obviously. So a lot of the global container vessel lines, you know, some of the larger carriers, MSC, Maersk, you know, some of the big, the big, really big guys, so to speak, started taking vessels out of service. Containers were going out of service because there wasn't as much cargo to move. When mm-hmm. they started ramping back up, all those vessels that start, you know, were basically taken out of service, weren't replaced. So there's less infrastructure from a movement standpoint to move containers on. So when you say so when you say out of service, you mean like out of commission, like that the boat Correct. the the vessel was done. It wasn't just like parked. No, it it wasn't parked somewhere in an, an off park water parking lot. So <laughs> it was completely taken out of service. Older vessels were scrapped, not put back into service. So the amount of vessels in the marketplace really decreased. Got and it. when things started to pick back up, cargo started to pick back up. People still had dollars to spend. So the e-commerce business moving into these coastal ports, specifically out west, really, you know, overtook the amount of supply that was out there from a, a movement standpoint and vessel capacity standpoint. So now you have a situation where all this cargo is moving into these coastal ports, creating bottlenecks. There's no space in warehouses right now. There's still some labor shortages around these ports and the cargo really has nowhere to go. Rail lines are at capacity. Trucking capacity is, is really hard right now. Um, and it, it's just created a, a worldwide problem. See, I, and that's, that's what's so interesting is like, you really do need to talk to people that do this every day, because I don't know if, I mean, the world doesn't know that. You know what I mean? The world doesn't know that 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 was step one into how we got here. Right. So, um, I mean, I, I understand this is probably the hardest question on the podcast, but how do we fix it? You know, where do we go from here? Is there a timeline where the supply chain fixes itself? Is that 22? Is that 23? I mean, how do we do it? So I spend a lot of time talking to not only cargo owners, but, you know, freight forwarders, third party logistics companies. A number of them have told me they don't think that we'll completely get back to normal until early 23. Wow. So this may very well last, you know, maybe not to the extent it is right now, but there's not going to be a solution where things return to quote unquote, whatever normal is these days until late fourth quarter next year, early 2023, just because the, the infrastructure surrounding the problem, whether it be labor availability, warehouse availability, rail, is it such a, a premium right now and it, it is overcapacitated to the point that cargo really has nowhere to go. So you mentioned, you know, companies, third-party logistics organizations. I mean, is this a government-only fix? Is it private and public? Like, where does the fix actually come from? And then, of course, the follow-up to that is going to be, you know, the newly minted infrastructure bill and how that should help, at least we hope. Sure. Well, you know, there's many solutions. None are quick fixes, unfortunately. It's just not the way the supply chain works. You know, you have to start really to, to fix this, you would have had to have started working on it 
you know, probably a year and a half ago to prepare for something like this, frankly, that nobody saw coming is, is the issue. Um, and, and because of that, you know, long, long term, the fixes are what we talked about before. We have to start using more ports to handle cargo, you know, especially in the container realm that maybe typically wouldn't handle it before. There's a port in Oregon, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, that's investing a huge amount of money to build a new container terminal. You know, there's ports like, you know, Tampa, for example, and Jacksonville, both are increasing their container capacity to handle more containers in the future because they see an opportunity for people to go different places than they are now, rather than through the big ports that are continually congested. So it has to be from a government side, a strategy shift, like we talked about before, and then from a port side, more of a infrastructure spend by ports typically that wouldn't get involved in that part of the business or that are handling other cargoes right now. Okay, perfect. I mean, perfect transition. Are there conversations now that you're having around expanding the port's footprint and or capabilities? So, yes. Um, expanding our capabilities, yes. We have the capacity right now to handle 100,000 containers a year. We're significantly below that, frankly, because, you know, we're still outselling this service, even though we've been doing it for eight years, the, the market sometimes is slow to change and people are used to moving their goods through coastal ports and they're just now realizing that maybe they should look at alternatives. So, you know, we're going to have to eventually add another crane, more ground equipment, such as reach stackers that, you know, move the containers when they're either moving off the ship or, you know, being loaded on ships for export. Um, we'll have to make some infrastructure improvements and we'll do that through grant funding opportunities that we talked about previously. So that that's on the radar and that's always on the radar for us. It's just more important that we take advantage of that now. Yep. Um, okay. So let's shift to another lane of your industry. want to talk about how technology has affected it and where do you see the biggest opportunity for your industry to further adapt um, technology wise? Okay. So I'll, I guess I'll, I'll talk a little more local and talk about our port. So yeah, you, if you were to, to talk to me at this time last year, just from a, a main gate perspective where trucks go in and out of our port, we were very manual, one lane in, one lane out. There were bottlenecks in the morning because we had 20 trucks lined up waiting to get in, take cargo off the port or bring cargo on for export. We expanded that to two lanes in, two lanes out and automated that process. So now if you have what's called a, a TWIC credential, which gets you onto the port unescorted, so to speak, you can just swipe that card, gate opens and you're on the port automatically. So the, the timing to get in and out of the port is much quicker. The other thing that we did when we built that new infrastructure is run trunk lines to that with, with basically wiring and cable infrastructure to eventually go paperless here. We want truck drivers to be able to come in and out of the port and not have to stop at an office to get directions on where to go next. So if you come in our main gate, we want you to say, okay, you're picking up, you know, container one, two, three, four, five, go to this part of the dock. That's where you're going to get your container. Everything will be on a smartphone or an iPad. They get loaded and they're back out. So the process should be much quicker. And there also needs to be some, some technological advances where we're communicating properly between, 
you know, the gate, so our responsibility, the terminal operator who's handling the cargo on the port, you know, the, the cargo owners and connect all that. So somewhat of a, an internal blockchain, so to speak here. And, you know, there, there's also been, and I, I'm sorry to go on about this, no, because, no. because it's so important right now. There's been a lot of talk about that just from a, you know, a, a, a standpoint of larger ports have multiple users and they're not connected either. So truck drivers are coming in and they don't see exactly, you know, what the wait times are at the gates. So that needs to be changed. And there's all kinds of other, you know, issues surrounding some of the larger ports that need to be changed as well from a technology standpoint. So is there a universal platform that allows all these different parties to talk to each other? Or did you guys have to use maybe a couple for to make that work? No, so no, there's not. Um, that, that's something that we need to build in the future. And frankly, larger ports don't have that either. There's, there's multiple platforms where different parties are involved, and that's part of the problem. So the whole system is bogged down by that. It's almost like you guys need NetSuite for, for your operation. Just yeah. Not, yeah. Some, something similar to that. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. You know, I, I always say when I get back to, you know, how, how we sell the port, I, I, I try to tell people, look, if you go into a grocery store and you have 100 items in your grocery cart or somebody else has 100 items in their grocery cart and they're three deep at one of the registers and you look at the express lane where you have 12 items or less, you're not going to go stand behind the, the three huge carts that are piled with all kinds of groceries in there. You're going to go to the express lane. We're the express lane from a, you know, to equate that yep. to a grocery store situation. You know, we tell people, look, if you want to move your goods faster, we may not be always cheaper and that's not the goal. We're just as cost effective. You're basically paying close to the same thing. Go the faster route. Don't go the slower route if you have a choice. Yep. And some would say, and look, I don't understand the business nearly enough to actually be able to uh, smartly say this, but some would say you could charge more because you're saving time. <laughs> but, but, you know, when we when we first started the the service back in 2014, we had that discussion. You know, I, I kind of view us as a, uh, if you're familiar with FedEx Custom Critical, which is an expedited over the road solution, so to speak, domestically, we're kind of a FedEx Custom Critical on the water between your and the Midwest. Uh, that's the way I, I view our operation, especially right now. Got it. Um, plug to FedEx custom critical, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and that was a free plug. So good for you. Yeah. Um, okay. Can you explain to our listeners how bonding works and why ports are so regularly tabbed for financing major projects in a region? Um, and it, specifically, if you want to mention the, the Irish Town Bend project, certainly can do that as well. Sure. So, so just to, just to clarify, the, the bonding functions and solutions that we provide for development projects are different than what's going on with the Irish Town Bank project. Got it. Two, two, two separate buckets. So there's 88 ports, I believe, in Ohio. I believe all but two ports have statutory bonding capabilities for development projects. And basically, all of us, to a certain extent, are conduit financers. You know, the, the developer will provide, you know, the funds that they need to put up to erect a apartment building or parking garage or, you know, school or something like that. 
And then the bond market is actually buying the bonds that would support that. We're conduit. The money flows through us to a certain extent. Sometimes there's, you know, savings for sales tax on building materials, as an example. Um, and, you know, we've done a lot of buy- bond financing throughout the years, um, never with our own money. The port does not put up our own money for these projects. It's always somebody else's money. We're just a pass through. And per the state of Ohio, statutory, I can't remember, I think it's um, maybe 4582 is the actual um, number, so to speak, in the state where this was approved. Um, that's how we get our our bond financing authority, so to speak. So got it. That's a significant part of our revenue stream on an annual basis, and it helps support the maritime work that we do as well. Got it. Okay. Um, I know you mentioned it uh, a couple questions ago, but the concept of blockchain technology. You know, I think blockchain has a, a better chance of affecting your industry than necessarily cryptocurrency does. But where do you sit on that? And do you see it um, kind of infiltrating at all? Or what are your thoughts? Blockchain or cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency? We'll, we'll do both. I mean, they're kind of one and the same. They're, they're separate too. But like, is, yeah. will the technology itself come first? Will you guys accept crypto at any point? Like, it could go a million different ways. Yeah, so cri- crypto probably in the port world, at least for us, wouldn't be applicable. So the, the way that we the way that we produce revenue from a maritime standpoint is through leases that we provide to our operators on the terminal for the space that they're utilizing and the cargo that are that they're handling. We have fees for the cargo that moves across the docks and for the vessels that come in. Um, we have yet to receive any <laughs> any requests to take cryptocurrency. I think, you know, the transportation industry in general is very old school um, when it comes to that. You know, everything is still done via, you know, check, money transfer, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't see cryptocurrency in the near term being uh, something that we would see anytime soon. Blockchain potentially, you know, the way I described it before and trying to connect various forms of cargo movements, truck movements, vessel arrivals with cargo that move on and off vessels, that's more apt to happen sometime in the next few years than cryptocurrency. Got it. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I figured, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, listen, this was great. We're going to get you out of here on this one. I always joke with every guest. Sometimes this is the hardest question that we ask, but we always like to highlight local area Cleveland restaurants. Um, you can pick anyone that you love to go to, whether it's um, with you and friends, you and your family. Maybe it's a uh, takeout spot that um, has been a recent favorite since COVID. But whatever you, whatever your favorite spots are, we always like to highlight local Cleveland restaurants. Uh, sure. So that that's actually a kind of an apt question for me right now. So uh, we just decided to downsize. We lived in the western suburbs for 20 years and are moving to a little area on the near west side called Gordon Square. So we're we're downsizing, we're getting closer to the city. um, And we've been frequenting some spots around the Gordon Square area. So I'll give you two. Uh, We recently and a number of times have eaten at a little little restaurant on Detroit Road called XYZ, which is really good, one of our favorites. And another one uh, on West 76th Street in Cleveland, which is a really great space, kind of a neighborhood type of deal called uh, All Saints Public House. 
both really good vibes, really good spots. Highly recommend both of them. And I'm sure when we uh, when we move down here in a few months, we'll we'll be regulars. What uh, what kind of food at each spot? XYZ is a little more eclectic. I think last Saturday night or maybe the Saturday before when we were there, I had chicken and waffles. Nice. Um, XYZ, I had, I think, the best grilled cheese sandwich I ever ate. Or I'm sorry, <laughs> it all, all Saints. That was at All Saints. Yep. Um, so love it. Both, both really, really good spots. Um, lo- love going there. Walking distance for us when we move and really looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, Dave, listen, this was fantastic. Um, where can everybody you know, people interested in learning more about you um, or the Port of Cleveland, where can everybody learn more, you know, website, social, all that stuff? Yeah, sure. I mean, we were at Port of at Port of Cleveland on Twitter. You know, we have an, an Instagram account. Our website is, you know, portofcleveland.com. Uh, feel free to email me, con- contact me any, any reason you, you need to. If you have questions about cargo, how we do things here at the Port of Cleveland, uh, we do tours every once in a while for customers and cargo owners. I just had, matter of fact, the uh, the Solon Schools Lego League kids down here for a tour because they thought Legos were kind of like containers. So they wanted to see some real, real big person toys kind of being stacked up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, they're not wrong. Just a little we're bit. Happy to, happy, to talk, ha- happy to talk to anybody who has an interest. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Dave. And uh, yeah, we'll be thinking about you over the next six weeks or so. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thanks, Paul. Yeah, Yeah. best of luck with everything. We'll talk with you soon. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.